0: Uh, When I was a kid, uh, growing up, I got to try my hand at just about every organized sport that was available to to me. Back then, sports weren't as demanding uh, as they are today. So, of course, you know this, I played hockey, but I also tried, and here's my emphasis, I also tried (laughs) uh, football and and baseball and basketball and wrestling and cross country. And the reason why I emphasize that I, I tried them is at the end of Almost all of those typical seasons of those sports that I tried, I won this particular award, you know, and the teams all gathered together for a pizza party, and the coach is saying, well, yeah, we're going to recognize Chris as the, the most improved player of the year. <laughs> I have too many of those trophies somewhere around, but you know what that, that award essentially means, right? It's, you know, buddy, you're really not that good at this sport, Um, But you showed up every practice, Uh, you had a pretty good attitude, you didn't complain a whole lot, you brought orange slices for all your teammates at halftime. Uh, And so, you know what, you also too, you did make some progress uh, throughout. We could see some improvement, right? That is essentially what the most improved player award uh, means, I have tons of them. Uh, if you want to, you know, brag to your friends that you know one of the most improved players of all time, it's, yes, I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's essentially not, it's not an award that many people wanna, want to earn. It's not, well, I don't know if they're not wanting to earn it. I don't think that many of us want to receive that, that award, right? But I'm beginning to realize when it comes to following after Christ, Hear me on this. This is a cheesy illustration, but hear me on this. When it comes to putting sin to death, when it comes to growing in obedience, when it, when it comes to deepening in wonder and joy of salvation, the most improved player award is actually like, like, para- like we, we all ought to want that. Now, of course, there isn't actually a, a most improved player award, but for the people of God, Progress is what it's all about. Progress. Uh, the, the theological term for this, I'm sure many of you have heard it, is sanctification. Sanctification is the lifelong process of spiritual progress that is increasing in, growing in, knowing Christ more, obeying Christ more, reflecting Christ more. And in fact, the what I've just described, sanctification, the steady spiritual progress of sanctification is in fact God's will for our lives. We read that directly in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. You hear the, the question often stated, well, what's, what's God's will for my life? What does he desire in my life? I'm going to tell you this flat out, and this isn't over-spiritualizing anything. More so than your nine-to-five job, whatever that may be for you. More so than the city you live in. More so than your marital status. More so than all of the little details of your life. God's will for you. Do you want to know what it is this morning? My message isn't even about God's will. Well, ultimately it is, but here's the point. This is God's will for your sanctification. That you would be steady spiritually progressing, transforming, conforming more to the image of Christ, more today than yesterday, and then the day before, and the day before, and the day before. Last week, this is all going to come full circle here in a moment, I hope. Last week in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul reminded the Philippians and us that the mark of God's true people Remember back with me? I know it was seven days ago, a long time ago. The mark of God's true people is not bodily circumcision, as the visiting Judaizers are insisting to the Philippians. The mark of God's true people is heart circumcision. It's being set apart in heart to worship him by his spirit. It's putting no salvific confidence in our own works. It's resting in fact all of our salvific confidence in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It is knowing and growing and showing the resurrection power of Christ in an ever-increasing measure in our lives. That's how Paul essentially concluded last week's Uh, sermon or his sermon the passage chapter 3 verses 1 through 11 and now I'd invite you to follow along as Paul continues his thought in verses 12 through 16 we're in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 16 today and I'll read that now not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press On toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, yes, we do believe that these are your inspired words. We pray now by your Holy Spirit that you would teach these words to our hearts. God, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring the enjoyment of repentance, that you would bring about forgiveness and God's sanctification, that you would today make us to look more like Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So did you catch Paul's challenge to the Philippians and to us right toward the end there of verse 15? What's his challenge, his invitation? It's quite enticing. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If you consider yourself to be a mature follower of Christ... If you consider yourself to be the mature follower of Christ that Paul addresses in 15, well then you will think and act according to the model that he lays out and demonstrates in verses 12 through 14. Let those of us who are mature think this way. What I've just said, let us think that way. And if I could um, uh, put... And kind of summarize what Paul models for us through the, the passage, through these verses, if I could make them into just three uh, applicable statements. This is what the you know the three points for my outline for the remainder of our time are going to be. Number one, be done with gloating. Number two, be done with gliding, and number three, be done with gimping. <laughs> I'll explain, of course, what I mean and where we see that in the passage, because otherwise I'm not preaching, right? I'm just telling you my thoughts. I'm not heralding God's word. So um, that's what we're going to be under those three points. Kind of a strange sermon outline, but that is what Paul is modeling in this passage. And I believe that those three things, those ideas, are what he's challenging the mature people of God to replicate in thought and action. Be done with gloating, be done with gliding, and be done with gimping. Let's look at number one, shall we? Be done with gloating. Now, it could be that some of the Philippians thought a little too highly of Paul. I mean, Paul, he's imprisoned in Rome for in Christ, he's kind of a rock star, phenomenal teacher. It could be that some of the Philippians thought a little too highly of him. And while Paul certainly wants them to imitate his faith, he humbly stresses in verses 12 through 13, look, I'm not there yet, y'all. I haven't arrived. I'm not walking in this perfectly. I don't consider that I've made it my own brother's. And it's this sort of humble demeanor that Paul has in mind when he writes to the Philippians and to us, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature be done with the gloating already. Let's be done with the pomp and puffery of this outward righteous appearance, right? And of course, Paul isn't the first to teach this. Do you all remember Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 5? Don't be like the hypocrites, he says. What's he talking about? Well, the hypocrites, they go out to the street corners to have their prayer time because they want to be seen and celebrated for how devout they are. Don't be like the hypocrites. See, this kind of of arrogance, let's call it what it is, this kind of arrogance has no place among God's people. And yet, so much of this arrogance is alive and well in the church today. I'll just use myself as an example. In my sinfulness, look, mm, I really do want to appear like I've got it all together. I almost always, in my flesh, I revert back to, I wanna look like I've got it together. I've got the charismatic smile. I've got the humble-sounding answers. When he asks me how I'm doing, oh, brother, I'm doing okay, you know. I'm, it's just hard. Christianity is hard, right? I've got my arm around my wife and kids as if I haven't just screamed at them before, you know, we, we come into the church and, and a smile comes on the face and, oh, hey, well, I'm good, brother. I'm good. I'm blessed, Right? I want to serve. When I, when I serve in the church, I want to serve in the, in the roles that are seen and noticed. So all of this to say, me personally, can't speak for you necessarily. Unlike Paul in this passage, I do kind of want to appear like I've arrived. Almost always. And if we should take something... From verses 12 and 13, it might be this. Look, Paul here in this passage is humble enough to admit he hasn't arrived. And newsflash, if the apostle Paul hasn't arrived, neither have we. Sweet mercy. And when the men and women of a local fellowship, of a local church, adopt this way of thinking when the humility of Christ begins to course through our veins and we start to think of ourselves a little less like we should (laughs) what a refreshing thing to be part of when a church joinfully leans into this reality that we are not an elite club of perfect people we are a hospital of sinners the very kind of sinners that Jesus came to save, thank God so if I could summarize Paul's tone, his, what he's modeling, let's be done with the gloating already, church. Let's repent of our self-righteousness. Let's prayerfully make progress. The most improved player, let's, let's, let's make that kind of progress in the way that we surrender the smoke and mirrors of our own self-made perfections. It's not about perfection. It's about the slow and steady sanctifying progress of following in Christ's shoes, putting on humility that is ours in Christ. I know I said this next point would be point number three, but I want to do it as point number two. Let's be done with gimping. That might be offensive. Limping. I don't know why gimping is offensive and limping isn't, but I read that online this week, that it's offensive to say gimping. I'm gonna say it. Let's be done with the gimping, okay? Because I think that's what Paul is getting after. He says, brothers, I don't consider that, what, that, that I've made it on my own. He writes in 13, look at what he says, but here's one thing I do. Look, I don't consider I've made it, haven't arrived, don't think too highly of me, but here is something that I do do that I want you all to replicate. Let those of you who are mature think this way. Stop staring backward, okay? And start straining forward. I press on, he writes in 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Now look, Paul has a lot of baggage behind him. He's got a lot of hurts, a lot of sin, a lot of mistakes, uh, a lot of misguided attempts to earn God's favor, which ended up grievously hurting others. Stephen, anyone? Grievously hurting slash grievously killing others. He's got a lot of baggage And the reason why I highlight is because Paul has a lot of reasons for limping around, right? We might even understand if Paul were hesitant to stay in the game, if he were hesitant to even remain in the church, all the baggage that he's carrying, but that's not what we see in him. And there is a lesson in it for us. Here's my question. I know the answer to, uh, I know the answer to my own heart. Are you carrying around baggage? Do you have baggage in your story? Have you been hurt by a family member or a friend or co worker? Have you been let down? Have you had your trust abused, even by professing Christians? God forbid, even by pastors in the church. Are you carrying around hurt like this? How about this? Have you been so convinced? about a certain theology or practice or political issue or family tradition, but now as you grow a little older, you're discovering that's something that you were once so convinced you were right about, you're in fact wrong about it. Ouch. All of these things, by the way, Paul is carrying. They're, they're in his past. And maybe you're not sure what to do. Maybe you're not sure what to think. Paul's whispering here in verse 13. He might have actually be even screaming it, but one thing I do. You may not be sure what to do. You may not be sure how to think. Here's one thing I do. Stop staring into the past and start straining forward because guess what? We cannot erase the hurt that we're carrying. We can't erase all the letdowns and the misguided decisions we've made. But here is what we can do because of God's amazing grace. We can stop giving all those things our valuable attention. We can stop allowing the past to overshadow the present and to squelch the joy out of our future glory that is now and not yet in Christ. Now, this isn't some sort of Tony Robbins self-help tactic bullcrap. It's not. This is called taking every thought captive. When that fleeting thought of, oh, yesteryear, the past, and the injury, that you know what? Arrest it. Arrest it. Put it to silence. And then put it behind. And then what? Surround yourselves with the family of God, brothers and sisters, who will help you to put those Thoughts to silence. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right, as Paul writes. And then, guess what? Prayerfully take the next step forward. God will give wisdom in that moment. He'll do it. But what we gauge, what we gain, what we get from Paul here, and and what I'm going to say one more time. Come on. As the church, as those who are indwelled by the same power that raised Christ from the dead, let's stop gimping as if the past defines the present and the future. It doesn't. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Number three, let's be done with the gliding, okay? The spiritual coasting. How many people Oh, Holy Spirit, convict us just by saying this. How many of us are, in? Dis- you know, we would describe our spiritual walk as passive stagnation. It's just kind of sitting like a puddle. we got to be done with that. Littered throughout this passage, Paul models for us what it looks like not to glide. Look at his words, verse 12. I press on. I'm leaning into this thing. Verse 13, I am straining forward. Verse 14, he repeats himself. I press on. Even Paul, locked up in house arrest in Rome, he is progressing. He is gaining ground. Even from the confines of house arrest, while possible execution looms over his head, he is growing. He's straining. He's pressing to make Christ more of his own, verse 12, because Christ has already, glory to God, made, made Paul his own. And all of us who are in Christ, Christ has made us his own. So we press forward to make him our own. We're talking here, go all the way back to, 19 minutes and 55 seconds ago when we started, uh, go all the way back to the sanctification. This This is what we're talking about, the steady spiritual progress of knowing Christ more, obeying Christ more, reflecting Christ more in order that we might savor the one who has saved us. Dig, no gliding. It's against the rules here. No gliding, push, press in. Press on, strain forward. Do we see the vernacular Paul's using in this passage? So I'm gonna ask you a question that I've been asking myself. And by asking myself, I've been asking myself this week as I've prepared. Are you walking more today than you were last year, this time? Are you walking more in the knowledge and obedience and reflection of Christ? What scriptures have you been so immersed in that they have soaked into your pores and are reorienting your patterns of thought and life? What sins have you put to death? Most families have a spot on on a wall or one of the beams of the doors, right, where they chart how tall their kids are growing. You all familiar with that? Or is it just the Lawson household? Look, if we had a church family growth chart, not for our own self-righteous puffery, But if we were able to really mark off the growth, the sanctifying progress that we are making in our lives, how many Christ-like inches taller would you be in comparison to last year? Or are you not really growing that much at all? Are you in some sort of passive stagnation sitting like a mud puddle? Are you still just as focused on material items as you were last year? Are you still steeped in pornography? Are you still overworking and overdrinking and oversharing gossip, marring a spiritual brother or sister? If those closest to you were to describe your spiritual life, would they say, oh, you know what? He's growing. Or would they say, he's kinda gliding? Martin Luther had some tough but true words concerning spiritual gliding. There's a little bit of uh, theological terminology here at the beginning, but I think you'll get the gist here. There is no justification without sanctification. No forgiveness without the renewal of life. And there is no real faith from which the fruits of new new obedience do not grow. I have faith. I believe in God. I trust Christ. Show me. What does your life look like today? How much transformation would we see? Show me. And I, too, ought to be asked the same thing. God doesn't, hallelujah, expect perfection. He has supplied that for us in his son. But he does, however, expect progress. And that is the, kind of the tenor of this passage. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Think you're mature? Let's see your growth. Let's see it. Now, in order that I would not leave us in a, a pool of our own um, Shame and discomfort (laughs) and conviction, hallelujah for that. I wanna gospel you for just a second and I wanna bring about hopefully an illustration that will help us to think through spiritual progress. Picture yourself with me. If you need to close your eyes for a second, do this. Picture yourself as a child for a moment and now picture Jesus robed in all of his righteous perfection. Imagine, picture him approaching you, getting down on a knee, and then draping his robe over your shoulders. And then picture him taking off his sandals and strapping them to your feet. What do you look like, right? All, I mean, this is humorous, but you probably look a little bit like Prince John from the you know Disney movie uh, Robin Hood, where he's wearing the crown and the thing. But they're not his clothes. He doesn't. He's, he's like he needs to grow, right? And there's a point here that I'm making. When we come to Christ with childlike faith, as we ought, when we trust Him that He is the risen Son of God, when we do that, He clothes us in his righteous perfection if you possess a childlike faith if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that jesus is the risen lord then here's something shocking it's scandalously shocking hear this right now right where you sit our heavenly father sees you as clothed in the righteous perfection of his beloved son, and he is well pleased with you. So, what is the aim of spiritual growth? What is the aim of sanctification? What is all this, you know, illustration of a most improved player trophy? What, what, what's all this? Look, the aim of our spiritual growth is that we would grow up into the righteousness that already clothes us. The aim of our spiritual growth is not that we would one day, if we're lucky, earn the right to try on the royal robe for just a second. It's that we would grow up into the righteousness that already covers us in Christ. So the aim of our knowing and obeying and reflecting Christ more and more and more is to become what we already are in Christ. Becoming who I already am. I'm already wearing the garments of Christ's righteousness. I probably look a little buffoony because I'm, I'm very, very young and immature, but I am growing up into what already clothes me and surrounds me in his righteousness. It's this idea of being seen by the Father as perfect and blameless because Christ is our covering, and yet we're growing into that. We want, it is our joy to grow into that, to to fit into the clothes a little bit in our Christ-likeness. The aim of our increased knowing and obeying and reflecting Christ is the joyful process of becoming what we already are in Christ, of becoming who we already are in Christ. In In the words of verse 12, we press on to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. Past hunts, it's done. We press on to make our own, what, ha, what we, we've already been made, the own <laughs> of Christ. We hold true to, verse 16, to this gospel that we have attained in him. I praise God that the expectation from, from us, from our strivings is not perfection, it is progress, The perfect Christ is whom we are under and whom we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will grow up into, into his likeness for our joy, for his glory forever. Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer as I close and our brother Ed is going to come forward and we'll sing one more time together. Father, we do thank you for your word for just a few verses that when we spend just a moment looking at these verses, they're just jam-packed and we probably barely scratched the surface today. But what we did cover, even as simple as just our eyes going over the words of your scripture and hearing them out loud, Lord, oh, would you do a work in us by your spirit? Would you stir us, spur us, Lord, that we might today as we leave this place with all of the faith-fueled gratitude we can muster that we have been counted in Christ. Lord, we are yours. Now may we grow up into that which we are already clothed in. We pray that, Lord. Please help us to be a maturing church, a church in progressive sanctification ever being made more into the likeness of your Son, as we see Paul kind of talking through here. And clothe us with a humility. We're not making it in our own effort. We certainly haven't made it. And so, Lord, there can then be a very candid, vulnerable, transparent humility about each of us when we simply just level with one another where we're at Give us that kind of humility, Lord. All these things that we've gone through this morning in this passage, give us in Jesus' name, we would pray. Amen.